The views and opinions expressed by the producers, hosts, and guests of Flash Black Radio do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Flash Black or its parent company. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, beautiful people. This is Da Vinci Parks on Flash Black Radio. This is a profiles piece with none other than Slim Williams. Slim Williams just happens to be a very good friend of mine who happened to at some point marry my cousin. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't planned. It, it, it was not planned. Uh, at least it wasn't my plan. It was God's plans, apparently. Uh, but uh, I wanted to sit down and have a good conversation with my boy slim uh excuse me my my good friend slim i'll i'll edit that boy part out i'm nobody's boy i'm nobody's boy shetty nobody's boy (laughs) so i wanted to have this was that a morgan freeman no okay it might have been accidental morgan freeman okay i wanted to have this conversation with slim because I feel as though Slim is going to be a regular to some extent on this show and in, in this endeavor, this movement. So I wanted you to, as the listener, to have an understanding of Slim to some degree. So when he speaks on other matters other than himself, you can get a sense of uh, that you already know the man to a certain extent. So I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump right in. We're just gonna we're just gonna go into that cool slam. Let's go in. All right. Okay. So, first and foremost, what? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, this is what happens when you interview friends. Okay. So, on a serious note, what do you feel helped shape and mold you into the human being you are today? Well, the easy answer to that is um, not just my mom, but the relationship I had with my mother Um, from a very early age. My mother uh, sought help from me to help stabilize our family. So I learned a lot about responsibility and accountability from her. Um, and she relied on me. She gave me a certain level of respect. And as a result, um, even though she was my mother and I respected her and, and gave her all due deference and, and authority as my mother, um, I she treated me as an equal in many regards. Um, and it just it taught me to respect myself and to. Uh, take accountability and be responsible and all the things I think are positive character traits for me. I think that relationship with her fostered those things. Okay. So when you look at where you are in your life right now, Mm -hmm. if you were able to speak to your mother, I don't want to get this into an emotional thing. Like what, what do you real easy to, that happens easily when it comes to my mom. What do you think she would say to you, like seeing where your life is now? Because I, I know you, I know you came from a, a bit of a struggle, and we can speak about that if you want. Right. But knowing how far you've come from Southeast DC, mm-hmm. you know, to where you are now, right? What do you think she would say to you? Like, like I, I'm pretty sure she's smiling at you, and just not. I've never met your mother, right? But just knowing you, I just feel like it would be kind of like a silent exchange. How do you, how do you think she would? Well, my relationship with my mom was very much that way. We were very close. We were best friends. We were the definition of best friends um, before she passed. And I know that she was already proud of me before she passed because she said so. But I think if she was to see me now and see some of the decisions I've made uh, within the last um, five years or so, 
I think she would be happy for me. And I think that's a that's a big difference. Mm-hmm. All throughout my life, my mom was proud of me. She pushed me to achieve. Doesn't mm-hmm. matter what it was. If it was me giving a speech in Toastmasters in third grade or me placing in a spelling bee in fifth grade or, you know, me excelling at a sport or whatever it was if, on a competitive nature, she pushed me. And whenever I was done. Whenever the event was over, she would always lean into me and say, aren't you glad I pushed you? She would say that to me every time, every single time. And she expressed her pride. She was like, I'm just I'm really proud. You put your head down. You worked. You you know, you did everything that was requisite. So the pride was never a question. But I don't know that she was necessarily happy for me. Because I was in, I've been in some very difficult situations and I'm not talking about difficult, like, you know, life threatening illness, difficult and stuff like that. I have perspective on what my situations were. Right. But I made some decisions and caused me to get in some relationships that weren't, you know, so positive and things like that. Um, I think now if she was to look at my life, she would be happy for me. I think she would feel joy about where I am in my life right now. Okay. That would be new. That would be a new thing. Okay. So let let's let's backtrack a little bit. Mm-hmm. Okay. Having having said that, um again, I never got a chance to meet your mother. I know you speak of her very fondly and um I see I see I just see it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I don't yeah. I don't need to articulate it. We know each other well enough. You know what I mean when I say that. Right, right. Um I actually or well, we actually began to get close. Um, I would say around the time your mother was ill. Mm-hmm. And it's it's weird how things work out in life, right? Because I met you on the poetry scene. Mm-hmm. So on the poetry scene, we were both poets who were doing our thing. And I am very unassuming and I'm weird in a way when it comes to my poetry. Right, right. Okay, so when it comes to my poetry, just my poetry, mm-hmm. right? I am very proud and insecure and like boastful at the same time. Boastful is not even a good word because I'm not arrogant, especially when it comes to my poetry. Right. But it's just like, you know, it's just one of those things like I know what I'm bringing to the table with my poetry. And I will say I can be very good in most cases. Mm-hmm. At times I can be great. Right. Right. I I know that about me. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I don't necessarily present that uh, when I get on stage because right, I'm right. very shy when it comes to making myself vulnerable that way. It's very personal to me whenever I do my poetry. Right. So when people come up to me and talk to me about my poetry or they, or something that I've done poetry related, right. a lot of times it's people who are actually poets themselves, mm-hmm. not like people who are just bystanders. So I didn't know you right, right, right. <laughs> when you came up to me. Uh-huh. And I had I had done, for those who are not familiar, I had done this, this CD that I'm quite proud of and it stood the test of time. It's called All Seasons. It is one of the dopest poetry compilations ever created. Thank you, sir. I will Thank say that sir. unequivocally, and I should have been on it. But I didn't know you. At the you didn't time, know sir. me at the time. I didn't know so you. Yeah. I can't blame you for it, but right. I will blame you for it. Shit, when I met you, it was like how uh, how what year was that? I, I, I was like I I came out in '05, so that's when I formally like met a lot of people, mm-hmm. but I didn't really know everybody. I met people you. Knew I was Hutt, around. Though. Yeah, yeah. So, Mocha Hut around 2005. 2005? Was yeah. that long ago? Mm-hmm. Damn. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it didn't feel like it was that long ago. Yeah, 2005. Yeah. Okay, so like 2005. Now, just for a frame of reference, All Seasons came out November 11th, 2011. I remember that because it was Veterans Day, mm-hmm. and that's when I got the CD, so that's when it's, that's to me was release date. Right. Um. So, again, I hadn't met you at the time, so mm-hmm. All Seasons had been out for a little while when I had met Slim. And he immediately came over to me, not immediately, but he came over to me after a set and he's like, yo, I like the Il Poet CD, whatever. It's really dope. If you do a second one, I want to be on it. 
I got a verse that I already wrote for it. And he just went in. And I was just like, this is very awkward. It's like, dude, I'm not a record mogul or no shit like that. I'm just, I'm just a dude who did like a poet. Like, I'm not, I wasn't prepared to have people come up and just start throwing their poetry at me. And like, what if this dude is whack? But it was actually kind of dumb. I'm looking like, this is kind of, all right. Hey, look, that was all about peer peer respect yeah that's all that was yeah i didn't i didn't know where it was gonna lead though yeah, like, yeah. Like, oh it could have gone bad it could have gone very bad like because here's the thing is this dude mocha hut was a mixed bag i will say that no <laughs> well, it was the, a developmental ground. it was and that's the beauty of it yeah, it was yeah. the beauty and that's one of the things where i think why uh drew fellow ill poet is such a dope host because he he continues to foster the up-and-comers he gives a safe place for them to come in, mm-hmm. test their wares, test their metal, right. and and really see where they're going to be. Some people, mm, they're just going to be people that go to spit that. Some people are going to go beyond and start traveling. Some people are going to go to nationals. Mm-hmm. It really depends. But a lot of them make their bones at spit that. Right. So, again, like you never know what you're going to come across. You know, so when he like, approached me, I'd seen him earlier that night, but like, you know, that was one piece. <laughs> right, so right, like when right. he came, it was like I was like, this is awkward or whatever. You don't know what the whole catalog is. Yeah, like so it's one piece. It yeah. was awkward, and I'm like, okay, so fast forward, like somehow we, I don't know how I got your information or you got mine. I mm-hmm. think it's one of those things. That people ask me for my information. I don't want to be like nah and like be like coy, and I don't want to lie and give them bad information. Right, right. So somehow you had my information, mm-hmm. and you like out of the blue from my perspective, asked me to help you move. And I, I'm like... Which I don't even remember. Yeah, I don't I don't know this dude like that. Like, why is he asking me to help him move? But then, like, I saw, like, somewhere down in the text it had something to do, like, your mom was ill. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And I was like, dude, if it was my mother, like, for me, and it's funny because we always joke or people joke for us that we're very similar in nature. Right. So, you know, I was thinking to myself, if my mom was sick, I would probably need help going through that. Right. And it would probably be, be difficult for me to ask for help. Right. So I was like, I just showed up off of that. Mm-hmm. What made it so much cooler was the fact that people that I also respected outside of, you know, you know, obviously showing the basic human respect to showing up, seeing 13 there, mm-hmm. seeing Jonathan, mm-hmm. uh, the right one there. Um, I think Kaniki was with 13. I can't remember. Probably, probably was. Yeah. But like you know, I had actually been cool with them for yeah. a few years at that so, point. Yeah. Seeing familiar faces, yeah. there, whatever, like, okay, so I know these people, so he must be he must be cool. Cause I really didn't have any interaction with them. Somehow, yeah. like I don't really know when we officially became cool. Yeah. I don't know I, when that I point was. We actually met in two thousand five and then we were very loosely affiliated for a few years okay. after that. Right. Um and my mom passed in two thousand eight. Mm-hmm. Um and so that's when I made some overt decisions about what I was going to do with my life when that happened. So I started reaching out more to people that I wanted to be uh, that I wanted to build stronger ties to. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I had been primarily due to the relationship I was in. Um, I had not been uh developing those ties with people. Right. Um and uh I just made a conscious decision that I was going to be happy in order for me to be happy, I was going to need to do things that I wanted to do. I was going to need to be around other people who did things that I liked um mm-hmm. because we shared that similar interest. Um so I started reaching out to people when I stemmed in 2005, 13 and Kaniki, that's a real special case because um my ex actually met Kaniki and like kind of was talking about me to Kaniki without me knowing. And then I met 13 and Kaniki and then they were, it's like they all, everybody already knew who I was mm-hmm. so like, Oh, you Slim's wife and, and so on and so forth. So when I met them, I actually became friends with them in 2005. Mm-hmm. We had a really fast friendship, uh, me 13 and Kaniki. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been tight with them ever since. Right. Um, that was actually, I joke with 13. So I said, that was a goal. I heard 13's poetry and I said, that dude is going to be my friend. (laughs) I said, that dude is too good to not be my friend. (laughs) That that was a goal of mine. Yeah, that that dude is disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. I hate his guts, but I love him. Yeah. But but I hate his guts. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so fast forward, 
uh, we're going to fast forward first and then we're going to go, we're going to rewind way back. Yeah. Okay. So fast forward, um, cause I, I find this story to be comical. Um, and you actually remember pieces of it that I didn't, um, at this point uh, of the story, we're cool. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I want to say this was 2010, 2011. It was 2011. Yeah. Yeah. And we're we were we were a bit more than cool then. Like we had we were having more regular interactions. No, I had to come over your house. I had been house. to your crib. Yeah, you yeah, had been yeah, to yeah. my like, crib with that, relative that is frequency. A, that so. is a sign. If if yeah, you have yeah. been invited to my place, yeah, yeah. especially more than once, yeah. then y- you have done something because I don't like a lot of people that I don't feel comfortable with in my space. Mm-hmm. So um yeah, I had been to your place. A couple of times, uh, we had, we definitely hung out, or whatever. We had recorded stuff at your place, or whatever. Mm-hmm. So we had done that. Um, so there was a annual cookout that my friends from college put together. Jamond and Novella put together, and it's the Just Like Family reunion. Mm-hmm. And it's essentially. Friends from undergrad and some other friends since that kind of you picked up along the way mm-hmm. that were cool and interesting people and also a good mix for the crowd that was already there. And this cookout is once a year. And every time you go there, you're going to laugh. You're going to have a good time. It's hard to not have a good time at the cookout. Right, right. So I called Slim. I was like, yo, man, you should you should come with me to the to the cookout and he's kind of like uh in in a mode at this particular time where he was being antisocial. <laughs> I mean, just call I wasn't it really it. being antisocial. Nah, dude, you were being antisocial. My my transmission had just gone on my 91 Ford Explorer. I didn't, you know. I I get it. Like like here's the thing. Like like you had your reasons for why you were doing what you were doing, but from the outside looking in, dude, you were being antisocial. It's like it's like before. It's like yo, you want to like yeah. Then now it's like uh, I'm just gonna hang at home. No, there's no reason as to why you're gonna hang at home because you didn't really say. Yeah, so I'm just like I'm just gonna hang at home. Like all right, if so, I can't get the A and B, then I need to stay in the house. Right. This is my philosophy. So anywho, I was like nah, man. Like this is like this, this is a good a good time to be had. Whoever goes there is gonna have a good time. I'm like yeah, yeah and I could tell he needed to have a good time. So I'm like yo. Like you need to, so what did I say basically? Because this dude, this dude, uh, asked me, you know, why I wasn't going, and then I, I said, "Look, man, I said I, I haven't really prepared. You know, I'm I'm not trying to go." And he asked me, he said, "Are you not going because you don't want to go, or you're not going because you don't have a ride?" Um, and I said, "Look, man, I, I said it's cool. I'm just not going." And he just kept digging. And then finally, he was like, look, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to come scoop you. If you don't come out to the go to the cookout, I'll just sit in your driveway in my car. And then neither of us will go to the cookout. And he was probably just saying it jokingly. You know, that's what we joke all the time. We say ridiculous stuff. We use hyperbole. We're, you're, we're, we're pretty, you know, foolish people. Um, and, you know, I, I was just like, okay, well, I'm not going to ruin it for everybody. So I agreed to go. You know, and uh, he said he was going. You said you were going to scoop me. Yeah. And uh, when you you said you would call me when you were on your way. When you called me to, I presume, tell me you were on your way. Um, you actually said my cousin is on her way up from Hampton, and she's going to drive right by you. Would you mind if she picked you up instead? I've had a long-standing philosophy that you cannot be choosy if you are a beggar. That is a very simple philosophy that I developed myself. No one else has ever had that philosophy. I've never heard that before. Never heard it before. It's completely unique. Not worded like Uh, that. I've heard something similar. Yeah, maybe. But not like that. Yeah. So, um, of course, I said, sure. I mean, I'm somebody's giving me a ride. I have no, I have no, I'm taking, I'm going to take the help, however it comes. And then, uh, that ended up being probably the best thing that's ever happened to me in my life, though I didn't know it at the time, obviously. So let me let me just. <laughs> so what happened was, uh, you know how it is when you're getting ready to go to an event, and the event doesn't necessarily. So it's a Saturday, and this this is something we planned for a a very long time. 
So you know how it is when you plan on going somewhere and it's kind of like, you know, midday or like once the afternoon gets started, you, you don't really have anything to do prior. So it's kind of like you're just waiting to get ready to go somewhere. So I'm just like loafing around the house. I'm probably playing a roots lazy afternoon, getting myself in the mood, right. whatever, you know, it's just like, I'm just having my time in my place by myself as a single dude. And it got to the point where it's, it's about that time for me to go pick Slim up. But at the same time, it's like, I'm starting to think like, damn, I know I'm going to get this dude. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But it's like, I have to go out of my way to go pick him up away from where the destination is to come back to go into D.C. And I just started thinking logistics like, damn, how can I get out of this? <laughs> like, how, how, can, how, can, how, can I, how can I lessen my burden? This how? dude offers me a ride. Yeah, yeah, then yeah. immediately start thinking of how to get it wasn't, out it wasn't of the immediate. ride. It wasn't immediate. It, it looked, to, in all fairness, it took about an hour, hour and a half. You were probably but it trying was not to get immediate. out of it as you were offering the ride. Not at all. Like, simultaneously. Not at all. Not at all. But I thought about it. And I was like, you know what? Shay is coming up. So I was like, let me find out which direction she's coming from. And she said 301. I'm like, oh, you said the magic words. Because <laughs> he lived pretty much right off of 301. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So like when she said that, I'm like, bet. Could, would you mind picking up my homeboy? He's here, blah, blah, blah. It's literally like going to be like 10 minutes out your way because she was coming to my place anyway. She's like, yeah, that's cool, blah, blah, blah. Is he ready? Yeah, it's cool. You know, da, 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 da. I explained who he was and like how, like how tall he was. I also let her know that he's a cool dude. He wasn't going to try nothing crazy or anything like that. <laughs> so- Basically, this was helping me out. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? This was saving me a little bit of time and energy, allowing me to relax a little bit more before I got to go to where I was going to go. And at the same time, I was my cousin was doing me a solid to go pick up my friend. I didn't know she was literally going to pick up my friend. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't happen in that moment, but I'm just saying. It's just like, that's like yeah, like, like I didn't know that that was going to be like the, the foundation for- I mean, how many people can- Say that the woman of their dreams literally drove into their driveway to pick them up. Uh, like you didn't have to leave your house. Like the woman of your dreams came. Like mail order, huh? Yeah, gave you Woman of your dreams. Yeah. Order of one. Like I was, yo, had a great conversation with her, and obviously I was unavailable at the time. So there were no thoughts of impropriety, no movements in that direction. She was just real, real, real cool. And like you say, it just it laid a foundation, a foundation of initially friendship. She mm-hmm. ended up just being a real awesome person. Um, and then when I started going through my difficult time and I was separated, uh, that was really the first time in my life that I ever heavily relied upon my friends. I had been very, very uh, independent to that point. I've mm-hmm. always had a very small circle of friends. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not been large. Uh, and I, I've never wanted to rely on people because we know that people, you know, people let you down. As soon as you get a lot of ex- a lot of expectation, uh, that's when somebody will not come through for you. So I never wanted to put myself in that position. A lot of my friends turned that philosophy on its head because I I needed help. You know what I'm saying? Like I couldn't I couldn't stay in my own house because some of the crazy things that were happening at my house and you know. Call my boy Brew. Boy Brew was like, I was waiting. I was waiting on when you were coming. <laughs> you know? So he actually let me come stay with him for a few months. He let me come stay with him. Right. Um, and yeah, like people, people uh giving me rides when I didn't have a car. You know, I I went a few months without a car and I was separated. So the car that I was a owner of and paying a monthly note on, um, I it wasn't in my possession. I couldn't drive it. Um, so I, I like, I was stuck in many regards. I had to move stuff frequently. Um, I got to the point where I started getting my house ready to rent out to somebody and I had to do a lot of the work in the house. People would come help me. Jonathan came to the house and stayed with me there a few times to help me sort through stuff. And like, it is just that time my friends really came through for me and, and, uh, your cousin, Charlotte, 
um, Shay, as many people call her, um, Shay Bookie, as I was just reminded, is one of her nicknames yesterday. Um, she was a particularly supportive friend during that time. Um, she was a sounding board. Um, and she, she wasn't even, uh, telling me you, you need to end things. You need to get out of that. You know, she was, she would ask me, have you tried everything? Have you guys gone to counseling? Is there, is there a chance, you know, do you, is there anything you think you can do, uh, in the communication? She would try to help me like, maybe you just need to, maybe you just need to try to be nicer. You know, maybe you need to, you know, try to seem more supportive and, you know, uh, little did we know that, you know, she was being very logical and that situation was not a logical situation, <laughs> what was kind of occurring. Mm-hmm. But uh, all that aside, um, it laid a really strong foundation of friendship. Um, so when I finally reached a point where I, you know, felt like I was ready to start exploring the possibilities of relationships, she was just very obviously the person that I should explore that with. Um, and, you know, to date, this is just I think it's the best decision I've ever made because um, I, I don't think I've ever been on the same page with another person as much as we're on the same page, save my mother, which is a different situation, you know, mm-hmm. altogether. Um, but the, there's a connection that she and I have, and she's one of the reasons why I'd, I'd say, you know, if my mother could see me now and what she would say to me. I think she would tell me she was happy for me because I don't know that, I know that she was proud of the responsibility of my previous relationship, mm-hmm. but I don't know if she was, if she felt like I was really happy in mm-hmm. the relationship. Mm-hmm. And I think she would see clearly that I'm, I'm happy now in the relationship I'm in. So, yeah, okay. so having said all that, we got the foundation for why you're happy and also the reason why I can't get rid of you. Uh, <laughs> Are we family now? Yeah, even if I tried. You know what I'm saying? Not that I have. I'm just saying. Um, let's rewind a little bit. And by a little bit, I mean a lot. So let's Well, let's when go I came back. out the womb, it was. Not, let, let's not go back that far. Oh, okay. Like, yeah, yeah, All right. That's, that's very so, interesting. I know how topic I don't want to wanna touch. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I get mental pictures. All right. So. I was this size. Like, I'm not looking. So. <laughs> How are you as a young man? So, like, I, 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 I've, I know you now, mm-hmm. right? And I see you as a, as a stand-up dude. You're very logical. But you, you, also, you also have some interesting characteristics about you that you've had to work out as mm-hmm. you've gotten older. Oh, yeah. All right? Yeah. So let me, let me ask you a question. You, you spoke very highly, and as you should, of your mother. Mm-hmm. What... what about the other half of that picture mm-hmm. and why was it that your mother relied on you? What was the situation with your father? Well, um, I think my father to be polite about it. Um, no need to be polite. Well, I'm, I mean, I, I'm, I'm respectful of the fact that my mother and my father had a relationship that I'm not privy to. And one of the reasons I'm not privy to a lot of things that happened in that relationship is because my mother had a strict philosophy about not bad mouthing him mm-hmm. to his children. Mm-hmm. Um, so as I became older, I was exposed to more information secondhand, some because my mother opened up about more things in adulthood, you know, when I was in adulthood, mm-hmm. um, some things because, you know, I have older cousins who will tell me things and aunts and uncles, um, the few members of my family that I actually have relationships with. Uh, so, but I, I think that he was just, um, he was just challenged in many different regards with accepting the responsibility of uh, family and being monogamous and not being abusive. And <laughs> he just had a lot, he had a lot of challenges. I think drugs were involved um, also without getting too specific on the matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and, so he wasn't there. I think during my childhood, I saw my father 
it, it, as I can remember, if there there's memory that I don't that I can't access because maybe they're baby memories, mm-hmm. but uh, me- times from childhood I can remember, uh, maybe more than a handful of times, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and there wasn't a lot of input from there. Now, as an adult, knowing what I know about my father from the times I've been around him as an adult. And all the additional information I've gotten from other sources, I do know that my father and I actually uh, share some common personality traits, Um, just like my mother and I share some common personality traits. Some of that's nurture from my mother, but some of that is just honestly received through the gene pool, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, both of my parents had uh, very... They were both very expressive with words. Mm -hmm. So let's go ahead and call it verbose. Um, So I got that on both sides of the equation. Mm -hmm. Hence, I love to talk. Um, My father um, and my mother both had issues with with their tempers, Mm -hmm. with handling anger. Um, So in my childhood, that was a challenging area for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and as an adult, I've made tremendous strides in that area, mm-hmm. but I still have a very aggressive streak. Like it may not always manifest itself in anger per se. Um, but there are times when uh, I do become overtly aggressive, like, all right, every I, it's time to stop the foolishness. It's time to speak plainly because people are dancing around, <laughs> dancing around the issue mm-hmm. and we're not going to get anywhere as long as people keep dancing around the issue. So I'm going to state it plain. I'm going to be blunt mm-hmm. and I'm going to be frank and my tone may be very aggressive when I express it, you know? Yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. So. That was very that was very artfully put that whole <laughs> last. That was very diplomatic. I, like you, you deserve gold stars for that. I'm sir. so diplomatic with other people. Can, don't I owe myself the same, you know, consideration? I mean, if that's how you feel about life, you know. I'm not gonna I'm not I'm not here to judge, brother. I'm just here to have a conversation. Diplomacy. Diplomacy, really? So what's for dinner? No, it's not. It's no. No. It's not beef. You can't eat that. No. 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 You can eat your words. Play you can't diplomacy. Eat diplomacy. No. That's you can eat your words, but you can't eat diplomacy. Nope. That's a meme right there. Perhaps. Glad I thought of it. <laughs> <laughs> Let the record state. <laughs> that is not what happened, sir. I, I, I steal stuff immediately, by the way. But the good thing is I steal it right in front of the person and tell them that I'm stealing it. See, okay. that's the thing. Well, at least you acknowledge it this time. That's true. Yeah. Right, right. Okay. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna take it. <laughs> <laughs> Very well. So okay. So, what was it like? Because I I know I know you said your your mother sacrificed a great deal for you to go to private school when you were in high school mm-hmm. uh, to make sure that you had a, a good education and make sure that she put you in a position to succeed. What was it like coming up, leading up to that point, being in a situation where you're in a house full of women because you have two sisters, right? So you have two sisters, and both of them older, yes? Uh, one one is older, older and younger. one is younger. So I was the only boy, and I yeah. was the middle child. Okay, so you're middle child. I know all about the middle child mm-hmm. syndrome. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> and like you know, you have your mother. What, what was the family dynamic like? Lay it out for me. All right, so the family dynamic was real interesting, right? As you just described, just described I was the only male in a house full of women. Mm-hmm. All right. I had two sisters, one older, one younger. Uh, in some regards, I think that really helped my relationship with my mother um, because uh, I, I, she was the only ally I had in the house many times. <laughs> you know, my sisters were not my allies. We did not get along when I was young. Um, I did not think my sisters were fans of mine. Um, and you know, I had my own issues I was dealing with, so I wasn't really, you know, I wasn't checking for my sisters when I was young, Hmm. you know, I was, I was, you know, I had temper issues. So people would 
bother me and set me off and I'm trying to fight. And I'm in Southeast. Part of that was like survival instinct. Like you can't let people just push you and walk over you in the street because then you're going to be that punk that they always push and walk over. So, you know, a lot of that was learned behavior for survival while I was in a you know street environment. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, in the house, there wasn't a lot of peace there in regards to my sisters. We didn't like, you know, overtly fight and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a, I think there was a loneliness there on my part when it came to my siblings mm-hmm. um, that my mom did a lot of work to supplant. Speak um, to it. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and, and I was, uh, sometimes I feel like that may have had an impact on my relationship with my sisters going forward. Oh, yeah, of like, course it did. Yeah, maybe they maybe they felt like there was some favoritism. There. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, I, yeah. I like, yeah, but, yeah, there's going to be some resentment there yeah, because yeah. they're going to look like you were being favored when it's just like, you know, sometimes parents are looking to compensate. Exactly. You know, and I think that's what my mom was doing. I think she was doing a lot of compensating. Um, But there was a really, there was a big divergence between what I was experiencing uh, in Southeast as a, as a, a young child and what I experienced in private school as an adolescent. And it was that transition that caused like the major change in my life. My mom did everything in her power to try to figure out what was going on with me. Like, why is he so angry? And why is he, you know, dealing with, why is he dealing with uh, all these struggles? Why do people bother him? Why do they try to set him off? Why is he so easily set off? And, Mm. you know, she, I was fortunate to go to a very good elementary school in DC. WB Patterson Elementary is where I went to school. Mm. And I had a couple of fantastic teachers that I will never forget to the day I die. Miss Brooks, my third grade teacher, Miss Thomas, my fifth grade teacher. Miss um, Thomas was like the nicest teacher I've ever had in my whole life. Uh, Miss Thomas was like the most motivational teacher who spoke real plain. And if she saw something good in you, she told you. If she saw area you need to work, she told she told you. Um, but all of these people, this kind of collective of adults watching me as a child, tried to figure out what to do with me and they got me in front of some tests that I just fortunately scored well on, got me some scholarships to private school, got me out of that Southeast environment and put me, blossom. Yeah, put me in a different environment where I couldn't just be angry and have an outburst and fight to solve a problem. It just wasn't going to work there. I mean, I believe that I had a fight in private school real early in my, in my stint there. And the kids started calling me, uh, they started calling me a spaz. Like that's the first time I ever heard that term. I was like, wouldn't I grew up in Southeast DC? What is a spaz? I was like, Bobby, you're such a spaz. You're such a spaz is what they would say to me, mm-hmm. right? Um, and a couple of the uh, uh, administrators and adults and authority figures in the school, they were just like, you can't do that here. Like, you're on scholarship, but if there's a safety issue with that the other children, real fast. you'll have to go. So uh, sometimes people claim that I'm a very good communicator. Now, that's when the communication began to develop. Um, I may have always had the aptitude for it when I was young, Mm -hmm. but that's when it developed because I had to because I needed a new survival technique. The survival technique I learned in Southeast on the streets of Southeast D.C. was not going to work in private school in Northwest D.C. It Mm -hmm. just wasn't going to fly. Okay, And what private school did you go to? I went to Edmund Burke College Preparatory. And that school was fantastic. I think um, educationally, it it prepared me for life. Um, I think I learned more educationally uh, as far as how to approach study and um, all the things that like prepare you for college and prepare you to be a student at a higher level, Mm -hmm. which as a working professional, you'll continue to be for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. I really learned all that stuff there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I went to college, I was really just applying what I learned uh, there. Um, so I give a lot of credit to that school also. It's for- interesting you say that because for me, it's interesting listening to it because like there are a lot of parallels and all of which I won't go into on, on record right now. But right. no, we don't have time for that. 
Um, but I find it interesting, some of the things you were saying, how certain parallels play out and others don't. But you were saying that when you were in school, how things set you up for success mm-hmm. and how you had people pushing you along and who saw things in you. And for me, I was that kid who had heard the same thing for almost my entire academic career. So from about second or third grade on, it's like, he's such a bright kid. He's got so much talent. Uh, I don't understand why he's not producing, so forth and so on. My mother would say the same thing. And it's just one of those things after a while, it just felt like it was, that's just what people say. Right. So I don't, I don't, I didn't necessarily believe it Mm -hmm. so much. The irony is just skipping forward that, Years later, when I actually became a teacher myself, mm-hmm. I was saying it to other kids, but I meant it. So it was just like it was like one of those eye-opening things. But I, I digress. For me, it was kind of where we separate. Uh, listening to what you were saying about being prepared, I think I was absent in a lot of ways from my high school experience because I made a conscious decision to detach. Mm. I personally came from a different uh, different thing where I was in the talented and gifted program. Mm-hmm. From I tested into it at the, in the second grade, and there was a wait list, so I didn't actually get a chance to go to talented and gifted until the fourth grade. So by the time I got to the school, I was with those kids from the time I was in fourth grade all the way through twelfth grade. Mm. But those kids never accepted me. You know what I'm saying? I don't blame them. I'm just saying it's just for me. It's just like it's just looking at how the the, the difference between right, our right, story. Right. So those kids are the same kids that I knew in elementary school, middle school, and high school. So it's kind of like I was always on the outside. Right. So by the time I got to uh, to high school, I just kind of I tried one more, gave it one more college try at a high school level. To like, you know, fit in, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Well, I was just like, man, hell with this. It's just like, I looked at it like a jail bit almost. Like, dude, this mm-hmm. I got four years. I'm going to go off to college. And I remember telling my mother, high school is a fishbowl in the sea. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't really care. And then, like, I don't think she understood what I meant by that fully. Because mm-hmm. like, that was kind of me resigning from being involved in some of the ways you need to be involved. Right. So, for me, I actually lost four years of the development that I needed socially right. to help me function on higher levels. So right. I went to college at a deficit mm-hmm. socially, you know? So it's kind of like, you know, there's a lot of things that I, I, I was missing in college that I had, I, cause I, I literally stepped away right. and I, I, I didn't really, I didn't really care too much. So that's interesting because that's a, that's another there's a point of I would call a similar experience that uh, ended in a different result, right? Because if you notice, anytime I talk about these positive experiences I've had with people during different phases of my life, those people were always adults. Mm-hmm. Like they they were never people my age, peers, uh, right. peers, and that's because uh, I had a very difficult time. I had a lot of same struggles with fitting in and. I always, always thought differently and, you know, I went my, I was fortunate. One of the benefits of being a low income family was that if you needed to get help, there were like programs you could take advantage of. So if you didn't have money, you know, if we were like a lower middle class family, I probably wouldn't have been able to get like a psychological help and stuff like that, which also played a role in in my development. Um, But I mean, I, I was sit with professionals who at in elementary school who would tell me, you know, you're, you're just more considerate than other people, your age, other children, but not considerate in the sense that, uh, you're like being more respectful of others. Like you consider more things, Mm -hmm. like you just process more things and analyze more things. And you were more in tune. Right. And that's just, I had to become more understanding that other people, my age, weren't doing that right Right. so but i never got that while i was young and even in my adolescence Mm -hmm. what that meant was i always had better 
relationships with older people, with adults. I always uh, uh, interacted with adults more easily with less effort. Um, and that's why I, I got like always got better jobs. Like when I was 15 years old, I got in a job as an assistant office manager in an accounting firm. You know what I'm saying? Part time. Mm -hmm. Those are the types of jobs that I was doing when I was 15 because I was able to build that rapport with adults. Adults were the ones who had always uh, seen whatever light there was to see mm -hmm. and helped me to get it to shine. But my peers, it was it was terrible. What ended <laughs> up happening for me was when I got to college, um, I felt liberated. I was like, this is an opportunity for me to, first of all, for the first time in my life, be around peers who are also adults mm -hmm. for the first time. Um, and all the things that I dealt with when I was in high school and when I was in elementary school and middle school, I could just leave that stuff behind. Mm -hmm. You know, I can just start over. Mm -hmm. um, I could be a different person. Um, and so a lot of the issues that I experienced when I was younger, um, I kind of just put them behind me and developed more socially at mm -hmm. that point. I was able to use the skills that adults had helped me develop and apply them to peop other people my age. Now, I still felt a lot of loneliness and I still didn't really fit in, mm -hmm. um, but it was it was kind of masked because there was a popularity that started to build that I never had mm -hmm. when I was young. Um, so sometimes that's what popularity does. Like it, like it actually mask your loneliness, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, cause there's a lot of people around you. There's a lot of people interacting with you. Um, but yeah. So it, it just was very interesting to see the dynamic change and to see me become uh, uh, basically a social butterfly with people my own age, right? Um, but it a lot of it was overt. And keep it time. Keep in mind, at the time I didn't know that when I was in college, I was like, I'm hitting on something. Like mm -hmm. I, I figured it out, right? But I wasn't dealing with a lot of the pain that came from the loneliness of childhood and the isolation of being in high school with people who either a don't like you and overtly express it or B disregard you. Cause you're just not significant. You're just not important in their mind. Mm -hmm. um, and now today I know that I still have a lot of issues with that. I have a lot of issues with uh, other, with like feeling like others think I'm important. You know, like being important to other people, mm -hmm. you know, um, feeling like I'm significant to others. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a problem. <laughs> I, I, honestly, I think that is a perfectly human response. And I think there are a lot of us who have that response and don't necessarily acknowledge or cop to it. Mm. You know, I think that's honestly one of the big, biggest things that's going on with the current presidential nominee and Donald Trump. I mm -hmm. think he has a lot of issues with insecurity. I think he's a very insecure dude who yeah. worries way too much about what people think. And if yep. he's as rich as he says he is and as important as he says he is, then people who are not supposedly on his level should not rattle him the way that they do. Right. So there's something else going on with him. Um, I had a coworker who was just talking today about you know insecurity. He says sometimes he's walking down the street and he sees people laughing. He's like, yeah, it's like he starts taking it like, is this me? Or do I have something in my teeth or something like that? Right. It's just like, I, I think it's a very human thing mm -hmm. that a lot of us do not admit. And I think a lot of us go through uh, phases or periods where we put on the, the brave face and pretend like it, it ain't what it is. Right. So right. Uh, I, I salute you for admitting that and or putting that out there. Uh, so we, we, we've got a good sense of where you've come from. We, right. we didn't go into the whole nitty gritty, you know, mm -hmm. you know, there, there's some stories that you told me that, you know, well, there's lots of knit to grit. Yes. So. But, you know, we understand that. So right now, give us a brief glimpse of where you are right now. So what are you doing professionally right now? Cause you've gone from, you've, you've had some jobs. So you've, mm -hmm. you, you've been the office assistant office manager at a, yeah. at a an accounting firm. Yeah. 
You were a chef in the kitchen for three or four years. I was. You've Italian, done. Italian. Had a northern Italian trattoria. Yes. <laughs> you've also done. Don't don't tell me. Um, you've also done uh, prep preparations for for legal defenses. Um, in court, I, I'm not yeah. saying it properly, but. The, the easiest way to describe it is a basically trial consultant or a trial presentation consultant. There we go. Yeah. You did that. And now you are in data forensics. Is that? Yeah. Digital forensics. Yeah. Yeah. Digital forensics, data forensics. Digital and data are actually interchangeable, sir. They are. Okay. Yeah. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a correction. You knew what this was. It wasn't a correction at all. <laughs> okay. No. So. I, I was a, I've been a camp counselor. I've been a. Why would they let you cancel? In? Hey. I'm good with kids. No, kids like Slim. Oh, apparently, the, the kids that I've seen, no, no, like they were disappointed when they they saw who you were. Like, oh, you're not Uncle Lee. Well, that was your blood. That's, yeah. well, well, you know, she's was also a very smart young lady. That was different. Yeah. Uh, uh, but uh, anyway, uh, hi, Savoy. Yeah. Uh, so, um, but I've been anyway, a freelance graphic designer. Oh, uh, yeah, so have I. Not yeah. fun. Not <laughs> fun at all. That's uh, that. There's a stories in that we could trade off mm-hmm. off mic. But uh, so you're now in digital forensics. Yes. You are well regarded within your company. Your company is growing. It's pulling in business. Yeah. And this is a field that's going to continue to grow. It's going to continue to be what it is because people need people like you. Right. So you have built in job security because one, I would imagine that they're not, there's not a great amount of people doing what you do. Well, I think what's going on in uh, as far as supply and demand is concerned, right, right, in in the in the data management and data security fields, period. There's a lot of opportunity out there, um, primarily in the security area, because more more and more people are computing, and when we say computing, we're not just talking about using a computer. We're talking about smartphone using your smartphone, using your tablet, you know, using your smart devices and your wearables. And, you know, there's there's some point in time I joke with my uh, colleagues all the time. At some point in time, we're going to have to do a digital forensic collection of an elevator. Like it's going to happen. Well, dude, I just just on and just on on an off note. That makes no sense, but just as a side note, uh-huh. that's what I was really trying to say. I need to eat. That's what that is. <laughs> on a side note, I was reading an article on a Black Hat convention that was just convened mm-hmm. not too long ago, and they came out with some interesting things. So they had a flying laptop, yeah, and the laptop was pretty much a drone mm-hmm. that they could fly over areas that they couldn't physically connect their computer device to to hack into it. Mm-hmm. They also had the guys who last year hacked the 2015 Jeep Cherokee mm-hmm. came back and did more advanced hacks. So now they were able to on a closed road hack into the vehicle live mm-hmm. while it's driving and cause it to accelerate unexpectedly or yep. to brake unexpectedly or to to veer l- turn left or right. Wheel, yeah. yep. So there's that. They also were able to hack light bulbs. Mm. So like they could make light bulbs flicker or do whatever they want to do. Yep. So there, it it, it it's getting deep, my friend. Yeah. It's they, getting like the the more because here's the thing. I'm I, the, smart. A smart home is a cool and sensible thing to do, especially if you have a little bit of extra money to invest in it. Mm-hmm. If you listen to Flash Black Radio, I actually have a couple of devices that I've already put on the website that I would recommend for a smart home. That notwithstanding, there's still some unknown risk with a smart home because because there's a smart home and a lot of these things are running off of a Wi-Fi network or something like that. Right. That means that they are vulnerable yeah. to some extent. Now, the, the hope is that you would have a Wi-Fi network that you have with the utmost encryption. So you want to do... Uh, WPA AES WPA two, two yeah. yeah AES two, uh, WPA two WPA two AES mm-hmm. encryption is what I meant to say. So you you want to be along those lines, um, but nothing is one hundred percent in this world. Everything can get hacked. Um, they have games that are pretty much speaking to that. They have TV shows like Mr. Robot that's going to this stuff. Yeah, hell, the Matrix was talking about it. 
<laughs> back at the turn of the century. Right, right. So, I mean, look, data security is not only a growing field, but it's a growing concern because, as I just said, everybody's computing in different ways using different technologies. People don't really have an understanding of how secure or insecure certain technologies are. Um, and I think everyday people need to be aware of stuff like that. Like you people don't understand Bluetooth is one of the most convenient technologies ever created. And Bluetooth is one of the most insecure and hackable technologies. Because there is no security created. algorithm for well, it. It's just it's just Bluetooth is just broadcasting like like, hey, I'm Bluetooth and I'm trying to connect to something. Oh, you look like you can connect. And there you go. But yeah, people have so. Bluetooth keyboards. And there's, you know, there's there's pins and a device broadcasts a pin and you have to confirm the pin. But it's just it's really easy to bypass. And newer uh, newer iterations of Bluetooth, Bluetooth 2.0, 2.1, they're more secure, obviously, than their predecessor. The biggest thing about data security, and we'll get into this, you know, when I come back and talk about uh, digital forensics. That's what we're going to bring you back for. Incident response and stuff like that. But uh, the biggest thing people can do is just inform themselves Mm -hmm. and then do take some very very simple steps you know that we'll talk about uh when i come back but just know as much as you can and do the simple things because the the most insecure element of computing is the human element so if you try to shore up that aspect of it, a lot of hacks and breaches attack by social engineering you know following people, see what they do, look at their patterns. And then through that process, you're able to glean information that you can use to hack. Yeah. Right? Like on Facebook uh, a couple of weeks ago. And <laughs> I'm, I'm just, a, I'm, again, I'm, I'm, I'm just a bit of a weird individual in certain regards. Yes. Right. I don't like that you responded. To <laughs> but you're so weird. But whatever. So, <laughs> Weird. Somebody had on a Facebook post, like, I'm going to go ahead and say where I was born and you can share where you were born too, like the city that you were born in. And they, people just started willy nilly just sharing their, their birth city. Right. And the first time I saw that, the post, I was like, eh, that's, that's, that's not secure at all. Mm. <laughs> but right. then when I saw multiple people doing it, and I was like, uh, is, you know, a hacker be like, "This is one stop shopping." Yeah, I was <laughs> like, uh, "Identity theft, anyone?" Yeah, or maybe I'm just being paranoid. So I said it, you know, just trying like, "Okay, I'm trying to let you know that this is not a good idea to do," but then also played off like maybe I'm just being paranoid, so people don't think I'm being a dick. But you know, really, I was being both. I was being paranoid, <laughs> but at the same time, like, dude, like you're nobody needs to know that information especially the whole entire world does not need to know that where you were born right you know just for all eternity that that's not important to the whole entire world so certain things that we as human beings were so eager to share certain things and like we just shared a whole bunch of your personal life that I get to blast out into the entire universe right but there's certain things that I'm not going to ask you right. on a live mic. So what is your social security number? Yes. yes. You, would you mind sharing that I, 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 Flash I, Black? Here, I only need the first nine digits. It's, that That's it? That, that's just the first nine. You only need all the digits? That's it? Yeah. That's No. There's, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You caught that. All right. Yeah. No. So it's... Yeah, I I just routing, I think that's very routing good. An account number, is, uh, yeah, yeah. That, that would be that would be helpful. But yeah, I, I'm more than happy to come back and talk about that because um, I think it's a I don't think we talk enough about the human side of data security. Um, and when I do I do webinars and presentations and CLEs uh, to okay. So when you do stuff. when you do acronyms, you can tend to lose the audience. And by the audience, I mean me because I don't do acronyms. Uh, so what is the CLE? It's like uh, con- I think it's continuing learning, uh, continued learning education. Ed- education. Okay. Um, so that if many times when you have uh, and learning education kind of redundant. Yeah, it is. So, uh, so I'm probably the acronym. Education. The acronym is probably wrong i'm probably missing something but uh when you have a certification or you have a particular degree or something it normally comes with a requirement for you to continue learning and you get credits for it so i'll do presentations or teach a a course or do a webinar that attorneys can get cle credit for or people with a certain certification can get credit for gotcha gotcha okay yeah i can dig that all right well 
listen here, Mr. Williams. I, I, I thoroughly appreciate you taking the time to sit. Not a problem. Sit down on an open mic, not the open mic that we're, we we met each other on or anything like that, but to sit down and have a conversation. It's always good to get to know somebody on a different level. A lot of information I knew, but at the same time, it's always something new that you can learn, even if you've heard a story multiple times. You know. So I, I thoroughly thank you for your time and for being such a good sport and good chap. Um, and I look forward to having further conversations with you. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been an interview with Mr. Slim Williams, who currently functions as a digital forensics specialist. Uh, he, he gave me the shrug like that. Yeah, that's sure. acceptable. Consultant, whatever. Consultant, like, you know, he consults on digital forensics. How about yeah, that? That's yeah. better? Yeah, you can say that. That's fine. Oh, we'll go with that because that's what he liked. All right. Okay, so. This is Slim Williams. I am DaVinci Parks, a.k.a. Lee Bennett III. And I thank you so much for listening to us on Flash Black Radio. We look forward to connecting with you in the near future. Please stay tuned for more Profiles pieces, as these profiles will be the introduction to some of our content contributors. So when they talk about their personal professions and their personal experiences, you already have an understanding of who, of who you're talking to or who's talking to you. All right. So again, thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned. Peace.